Welcome to episode 124 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with Sycomer Trust partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to sycomer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us in Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. On today's episode, I'm featuring a conversation with Carl Cricco, Chief Executive Officer of Canines for Warriors, the nation's largest provider of service dogs for veterans. Prior to joining Canines for Warriors, Carl worked at the 9-11 Memorial and Museum as a Senior Vice President of Marketing, ensuring the stories from that day were never forgotten. At Canines for Warriors, he is committed to ensuring those who fought in conflicts resulting from that day and others are also not forgotten. You can find out more about Carl by checking out his bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. Carl, grateful to be able to share this time with you and get to know more about Canines for Warriors. I've heard a lot of great things about the organization, but before we get into talking about it, I'd like to provide you an opportunity to share a bit about your background and why supporting veterans with service dogs is so important to you. Sure. Yeah. Happy to be here and thanks for the time. So, I'm born and raised in Hoboken, New Jersey, right across the Hudson River from Manhattan, basically in the shadow of Manhattan. I was in college in NYU, living just a few blocks away from the World Trade Center on September 11th, literally like five blocks away. That day, won't get into the details of my experience, but I will say that day had a profound impact on me for the negative and I guess in the long term for the positive. I avoided that day for years, didn't want to talk about it, didn't want to watch anything to do with it, didn't want to engage with it at all, just because I didn't want to. I was too much. Just flash forward my career in marketing and working in media, I ended up getting the opportunity to run the marketing department at the 9-11 Memorial and Museum later in my career uh, after I've established myself. And they contacted me about the job and I took it really seriously. I really thought about it. And I thought this is one of those God moments where it, it's being put in front of me as a way to engage with that day myself, but also an opportunity to help others heal, right? So I took the job. I really enjoyed it and I found it incredibly therapeutic. It allowed me to put myself right in front of the things I was avoiding. And I say all that because the power I got and the gratitude I had working for a 9-11 related mission really just soothed something in me, something bigger than me that allowed me to feel really motivated at work every day. And it was a feeling I had not had before, really. And I looked at this as a calling in a sense that 9-11 related nonprofit work where I'm, I'm affecting what that day impacted is really something that I take very seriously. And when Canines for Warriors called, got in touch about the CMO job at their organization about three years ago now, I took the opportunity to continue that 9-11 related work rather than focusing on the day itself and helping people come to terms with that reality. Now helping the veterans that raised their hands after that day, right? The folks that put their lives on the line 
and we're motivated by that day to keep our country safe and to uh, try to get some kind of resolution there. So now I find that f- so fulfilling. The next step where I'm actually affecting the ladies and gentlemen who were really directly in the line of fire due to that day through the power of service dogs and helping them cope and deal with their PTSD. So it's really part of my mission. The impact of that day had many ripples and I'm just working on another ripple, you could say. Yeah. And even as you're talking, I was thinking about that in 9-11 and especially the 9-11 Memorial in New York, it doesn't just belong to the military and veteran community. I mean, obviously it belongs to the community of New York. It belongs to everyone. It belongs to all of us. It is one of those historical moments like in, in previous generations, everybody knew where they were when JFK was assassinated. I was actually in Germany. For me, 9-11 occurs in the afternoon because I was stationed in Germany at the time. But it's interesting that, again, going from that one-day experience, and really you found yourself working with service members, veterans, and their families as an extension of that, as an impact of that day, rather than, for example, first responders or other community work. Yeah, no, it it really just came in front of me. Like my path was made illuminated when I got contacted about the job. And I I thought of it as another moment of opportunity. Like somebody's putting this in front of me for a reason. It checks the boxes that I need to check from a kind of spiritual and motivational standpoint. Yeah, I find it extremely rewarding. These ladies and gentlemen are, a lot of them are dealing with a lot. Our mission is definitely helping. So it, it feels extremely rewarding. It is. I've heard many veterans, especially post 9-11 veterans, or even those of us who bridged our careers between pre and post 9-11, service dogs are supportive and they're helpful. I'd like to talk a little bit about the benefit of service animals for veterans. We all love our pets, but the support that Canines for Warriors provides goes beyond just allowing veterans to take their pets in public. But it really is, you were talking about it, it's supportive and therapeutic. Yeah, no. So just to give you kind of a once over on how our program is structured. So we're the nation's largest provider of service dogs to military veterans suffering from PTSD and other war-related trauma. Just to talk you through the actual program, we procure dogs. We like to have the majority of the dogs in our program be rescues because that's another mission that we're trying to, we're trying to touch on is the euthanasia of dogs. Once we procure a dog, we bring that dog into our program, spends about six months getting trained. Once it's trained and graduated as a service dog, the veteran comes to one of our classes. We have a class a month. Right now we have a class of uh, 15 going through the program, graduating next week, and then we'll have another class commence. So when that veteran comes to our campus, they are paired with their dog. They spend three weeks on our campus learning the service cues of that dog. So the dog is fully trained, right? The warrior is not training the dog. The warrior is learning how to use their service dog. And I think that the big distinction between, say, a therapy dog or a pet is our service dogs are trained to do tasks, right? And tasks that we offer are specialized for veterans with war-related trauma, mainly PTSD. For example, a service command, my lap, is veterans sitting down. They say my lap. The dog will actually jump up, put their forearms on the veteran, and give a bit of deep compression therapy to the lap of the veteran, and it immediately lowers anxiety right? Or there's look, which is another service command. A lot of veterans, especially combat veterans, are very vulnerable when their back is turned. So if they're using the ATM, that's not a good position for them to be. The service command look, the dog looks and watches the veteran six, and it just makes that veteran feel a little more safe in that moment. And more than anything, a lot of these veterans, which I'm sure you come across in your work, isolation is a big issue, right? Folks don't want to leave their home. 
And simply put, these dogs get them out of the house in addition to a lot of other things. Just some statistics that we've gathered. We do a lot of third-party research to validate what we know. We see it every day anecdotally in terms of the impact of dogs on veterans. But obviously, data speaks volumes. We had a third-party university do a study on our veterans, and they found that 82% of our graduates have a reduction in suicidal ideation, and 92% reduce their medication dependency. Those numbers really tell an incredible story. Like I said, I'm sure you come across this, but the VA, they're relying on medication. And I'm not making a statement on that, but I do think that we see ladies and gentlemen who are taking 30, 40 kills a day, and that's not even an exaggeration. And this, this service dog is a, an alternative. And I think that we're at a place now where I'm happy to see VA community explore alternatives to medications, whether it be service dogs, whether it be psilocybin, things that potentially have meaningful benefits and allow these folks to get back to life, a life of dignity and independence. And I really appreciate how you laid out that these are highly trained service animals. Again, there is the distinction of, we've all heard it that, you know, a veteran can go online and get a service vest and indicate that their animal is a service dog without any specific training or things like that. And the differences between an emotional support animal, again, a pet that helps me feel better and calm, very big difference between that and a highly trained service animal that is designed to alleviate conditions like you were talking about. A hundred percent. And we actually have statistical data that proves that. So we, we partnered with Purdue University to study the efficacy of service dogs on anxiety and depression levels, right? Because that's one of the key things we're fighting. And they did a study of cortisol levels in saliva of a number of folks, big sample. And cortisol levels indicate anxiety, depression, and things like that. And they had a sample of folks who have emotional support animals and a sample of folks who have service dogs. And what they found was that the folks with service dogs, their anxiety and depression levels were pretty much on par with the population in general. And those with emotional support animals was much higher. We're diving into this from a lot of different ways to obviously with data from universities, it helps us get funding, obviously, because it just is that much more effective when telling someone and proving to them kind of the impact of service dogs on on this community. And I think, again, that's a very critical conversation to have. I, as a mental health professional, as a clinician, I recognize that therapy isn't for everyone, but no one modality is the only thing for anyone. That's right. right. You know, just as you were talking about medications. There is a place and a time for medications. There's a place and a time for therapy, but there's also a place and a time in many veterans' lives for service animals. I, I guess I'd like to hear a little bit about the integration between service animals and other therapeutic modalities and how service animals might support that. Yeah. So I think that the service dog is a bridge to other things, right? If there's other therapies out there that the veteran wants to explore, I think that the dog is a way to get them out there and get them more engaged in life and potential other therapies, whether it be talk therapy, whether it be psilocybin, as I mentioned earlier, or other alternatives that are out there. I think that it creates another level of foundation that's a little sturdier, where I think the the ability to get off the couch and go search out alternatives is there and more prevalent. So there is an increase in, in using other tools that the service dog allows them to. I agree. I mean, obviously, a lot of the veterans that I've worked with do have their own service animals, and it has helped them. And I've seen that as well. As you mentioned earlier, Canines for Warriors is the nation's largest provider of service dogs for veterans. Besides just the training that you provide, can you talk us a little bit about some of the programs that the Canines for Warriors provides? 
Yeah, sure. Obviously, the training of the dog is a big part of what we do. Once that veteran is on campus, the three-week program is our core focus. Those are our classes. Within that three weeks, there's a lot of different steps to make sure that veteran is graduating at the end of that three weeks, knowing exactly how to utilize their dog. A lot of that is done in, we do different stages where they're on site um, in a kind of controlled environment, learning how to utilize their dog. And then we take them out, right? We bring them to relatively busy environments, whether it be a Target, whether it be a Walmart. We even go to the alligator farm in St. Augustine here in Florida. And then purpose of that is to really make sure, first of all, the veteran is not overwhelmed in those environments with the service dog, get them more comfortable with that. Um, but also that the dog is focused on the veteran, right? Because if they're distracted in those kind of high stimuli environments, then they're not focused on their veteran, which is the purpose of the dog. So the stages are from a kind of a controlled environment to a very high stimulus environment. And if the veteran gets through the final skills test at the end of the third week, they graduate with the dog. And after they graduate, we have what we call wraparound services. So we don't ever end our relationship with that veteran unless they're, they're off on, on their own and they're like, guys, leave me alone. I'm good. But we stay in touch. That first 30 days when they get home is critical because just like human nature, you can just get lazy and decide you just want a pet and you stopped actually utilizing that dog for those needs. And a dog, just like us, if you tell me I don't have anything to do, I'm going to do nothing. Ensuring that 30 days, that veteran is still keeping the leash on, doing their service commands and keeping that dog where it needs to be mentally. And a big indication for the dog is whether it has its best on or best off. So best on, they're working, best off, they're a pet. And making sure our vets at home are following that routine. But we really stay with them. Every month we do check-ins after the fact. We're working on a kind of a wraparound service to better uh, facilitate the caretaker, whether it be the wife or the husband, to help them before and after the program. But the dog, if the dog is like a kind of like a family member. So you, we want to make sure that family is prepared for that new member of the family. So when the warrior comes home, that transition is as light as possible. So we really try to look at all of the different factors in the warrior's life to ensure that the integration of that dog is as seamless as possible. Because what we're doing is trying to reduce anxiety and stress, right? We don't want to create it. And there's a lot of steps that we take to ensure that's the case. Again, I think this comprehensive approach, and again, I don't mean to disparage veterans who indicate that they have an emotional support animal, but there, again, there's a difference between going online and purchasing a vest and putting it on a dog versus being able to have a highly trained service animal and an organization that has some familiarity around this. I'm curious, and you've talked about some of the statistics, every single one of those statistics is a veteran. Any success stories maybe that might come to mind that you'd like to share? Oh, there's so many. I was traveling this weekend for work. We had a number of veterans in San Antonio. We were featured at the championship XFL game. There's one gentleman in particular that stands out. His name is Joe. And he he's just seeing him use his dog. He takes it extremely seriously. He's so rigorous. And he's just one of those guys that I don't know if he would. He's just developed in a way that's really beautiful in terms of really wanting to advocate for us and spread the word. And we see that a lot. I, some people, and not necessarily Joe, but our veterans in general, isolation, sticking to yourself, not wanting to kind of go out of your way because you're fearful and dealing with PTSD symptoms, to then being able to do a TV interview in front of millions of people. And that's a transformation I've seen continuously. And I think it's similar to a lot of other therapies where, you know, when you get it and you get it right, you want to give it away. So a lot of these folks who've been through the program, got dogs, had that impact, had that beneficial kind of 180, 
they want to tell people about it and they want to advocate. So I'd say, you know, there's many specific stories, but generally that narrative is something I see continuously. Um, we actually gave a home away with a, to a partnership with a real estate company here in Jacksonville last week to a guy named John Warrior, John and Henry, his dog's name's Henry. And John is another one who just got what he needed. And my God, he, he call him at midnight and be like, hey man, can you come down and talk to these guys about our program? Yeah, sign me up. Let's go. And it's just being around those guys makes me feel so good. And it, it, it's why I do what I do. But really that transformation is pretty, pretty consistent. And it's, it makes me happy that we, that I do what I do for a living when I'm around it. Oh, absolutely. I can, even hearing that, it puts me in mind of a lot of veterans after the military service, they're still seeking a purpose, right? How do I connect to a larger effort? And really we join the military for whatever the reason, but there is a measure of selflessness as part of that, being part of that. And so not only are you reducing the isolation, but you're giving them meaning and purpose, not just to be able to support and care for the animal that's also supporting, caring for them and creating that relationship, but also plugging them into a larger mission of this has helped me. I love veterans. Let me help other veterans with this thing that has helped me. A hundred percent. And I also think that one important note is our classes themselves, that three weeks, there's that bonding between veterans that they miss. So it's, that's another kind of box that we're checking is creating that camaraderie and brotherhood within the Canines for Warriors community. I think that's great. Again, I've heard many great things about Canines for Warriors. So if people wanted to find out more about the organization, maybe support you, that's something that they're open to doing, or referring veterans to your program if they have that capacity, how can they do that? So the website is the best place to go, k9sforwarriors.org. That's the letter K, number nine, S, warriors.org. There's an, um, some amazing stories up there, some great content about our veteran graduates, some great video content, and basically outlines our program in detail. If you're a veteran looking for help and want to explore service dogs as a, as a means to that aid, please go on, on our on site. There's the application button right at the top, uh, and donations always helpful. What we do is not cheap, unfortunately. I wish it was. But housing, training, and feeding dogs is rather expensive. So all the support is helpful. That's great. Now make sure all those links are in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Once again, we'd like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. As a mental health professional, I'm sure listeners can imagine that it's pretty common to interact with veterans who have service animals, and especially in communities with large amounts of veterans, it's also common to see service animals when we're out in our community. Some of my early legislative advocacy work was helping to draft legislation here in Colorado that supported service dog programs for veterans, so I'm an advocate for trained service animals for veterans who need them. I'm also fully in support of emotional support animals. If someone has the ability to take their pet in public and it helps them feel better, then that's great, and I have no problem with that either. As you likely gathered from my conversation with Carl, however, I am strongly in favor of the distinction between the two. A service animal is not an emotional support animal because it is highly trained for a specific task related to a disabling condition. And an emotional support animal is not a service animal, and it's my personal opinion that it shouldn't be promoted as such. There's often a gray area between the two because there are limitations in understanding on how to distinguish between them. The Americans for Disabilities Act prohibits businesses and state or local governments from discriminating against a member of the public 
with a disability who uses a service animal. The ADA's website specifically states that if a dog's mere presence provides comfort, it's not a service animal under the ADA. But if the dog is trained to perform a task related to a person's disability, it is a service animal under the ADA. For example, if the dog has been trained to sense that an anxiety attack is about to happen and takes specific action to help avoid the attack or lessen its impact, then the dog is a service animal. If a dog just provides emotional support or comfort, then it is an emotional support dog because providing comfort is not a task related to a specific disability. I am fully in favor of veterans receiving whatever measure of help they need to heal and recover. All I'm saying is for veterans who have a disabling condition that require the support of a service dog, I am fully in support of it, and hopefully they're able to receive the support of that service dog through programs like Canines for Warriors. The other point that I'd like to make is one that Carl alluded to in our conversation. The goal of having a service dog is not to provide a companion for the veteran. It's for the veteran who is unable to engage in society due to the psychological impacts of combat to be able to do so and to provide a pathway for healing from the invisible wounds of war. There are a lot of reasons that a veteran may choose to avoid fully engaging in their community. Anxiety, depression, a lack of trust or feeling of safety. Some veterans may disengage with others around them out of fear of what others may do. And other veterans may disengage because of fears of what the veteran themselves may do. They may not trust themselves in public. The problem with isolation and its sense of discomfort is that the longer that it goes on, the worse it gets. And the worse it gets, the harder it is to go out. And isolation, or lack of connectedness, is one factor in another aspect of military and veteran support that many listeners may be familiar with. Suicide. The greater the veteran's isolation and the more the veteran perceives themselves to be a burden to others, the greater risk there is for suicidal ideation and behavior. Suicide is a complex and multifaceted concept, and it's rarely just one thing that's a single factor in any one individual suicidal crisis. However, it could often be a single thing that keeps that individual, who may be experiencing a suicidal crisis, from engaging in potentially lethal self-harm. And that may be the presence of a service animal. Not just the presence of an external element that's reliant upon them, but the service animal is able to sense the onset of a crisis and provide relief before it gets too much to bear. But a huge protective factor against suicidal behavior is hope for the future, plans and things that we want or need to do tomorrow or next week or in six months. The opportunity for future planning is much less if we're isolated from our community or those around us, much greater if we are engaged, connected, and interacting with others. And that's the benefit that service dogs can bring to veterans who are experiencing the impacts of combat. So I hope you appreciated my conversation with Carl. If you did, we'd love to hear from you. So if you do have some feedback, let us know. Drop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at We're always glad to hear from listeners, both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. For this week's Psych Armor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the Psych Armor course, How to Interact with Assistance Animals. This course is designed for the general population to learn about the different types of assistance animals, specifically focusing on dogs, and how to effectively interact with them. You find a link to the resource in our show notes. So thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in the podcast app, as well as on the Psychummer website, psychummer.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. 
Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with Psychomer on social media to let us know what you thought about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Much appreciation to the team at PsychArmor that makes the show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track and is an outstanding guest coordinator. Support and transcripts by Emma Atherall. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.